You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How's that going? Wake up, Richard. (laughs) Wake up. Wake up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you guys always busting my chops. (laughs) But we're here, and it's sunny out, and uh, we're good to go. Let's talk about some car stuff. Yeah, we're good to go. I've got a frosty Dr. Pepper here. Life is good. Uh, just got back from the uh, AACA <clears throat> Central Division Nationals in Auburn, Indiana. And it's like the, you know, I have a lot of pet peeves. I don't have as many as you have, okay, Richard, but I, I have a lot of pet peeves. One of them it has to be the weather forecast anymore. You know, it's strictly rating. I'm convinced it's all strictly ratings-based because every time there's even the potential for severe weather, it's like the apocalypse is coming. Everyone is going to die. Basketball-sized hail is going to crush your automobile. Don't even bother to go outside, huddle in the basement somewhere. And so that's the type of forecast that we had for Saturday for the show. And that's been going on four times so far this year. I've been going to shows, and they've all had an apocalyptic forecast, end of the world, wrath of God type stuff. And it's turned out to be a really nice day. And that's exactly what happened out in Auburn. Got a little tiny bit of rain first thing in the morning. Skies parted, and we had a wonderful day. Yeah, is it true that you Hudson guys don't like to drive your cars in the rain? That's what I hear. <laughs> hey, I drive everything in the rain, you know. And, and you know, it's funny you mention that. I mean, not so much today, but, you know, way back when um, I first started going to Hudson shows, right when I first got my driver's license, there was never a trailer at a Hudson show. None. I mean, there were no trailers. Oh, those guys drove those cars to Virginia from California. It, it was crazy. Um, today, yeah, no. no one had more trailers. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody drove this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember a couple of guys that uh, drove in to Front Royal, Virginia, for uh, what's called Doc's Meet at uh, the Skyline Caverns there in Front Royal, and these guys had driven in from Arizona with their Hudson. Wow. And they went through a particular section of interstate that just rattled their teeth, just beat the Jesus out of the cars. And I remember they were in the parking lot the day before the show, and they're under the hood. And I'm like, so what you guys doing? And it's said, well, we're tightening everything up, because whether it was Arkansas or wherever it happened to be, uh, just beat the car so hard they were in there tightening things back down. So, but yeah, huh. they were fearless. Well, but how many cars showed up? But sometimes so, you know, with the, the weather, when, yeah, when the weather the, forecast is not good, people stay home. Yeah, terrible weather forecast. I think we ended up with like a hundred cars on the field. Uh, Ooh a lot less than we ordinarily would have. Now, I will say this. Fabulous cars. Fabulous cars. It wasn't as if 
you know, the show was decimated and we ended up with just, you know, a few moderately interesting cars. They were great cars. Everything that we had on the show field was really, really cool. Um, had a really neat uh, 21 Dodge Brothers, all original, and uh, that was just a really, really neat car. Beautifully restored 59 Lincoln convertible out there. Uh, probably one of the most challenging restorations I've seen. Those cars are, are really difficult to restore because of the snow aftermarket parts for them to speak of other than you know screws maybe a solenoid and some wiring everything else you either have to restore or try to find an nos which you know you just can't do anymore so that was probably my favorite car the whole show was the 59 lincoln convertible yeah i i I wish i was there would have liked to see that old dodge uh i like unrestored original cars especially when they have original paint you know, you can really oh, see yeah. how they were original. So that would have been tricky. So, oh, well, yeah, this next part time. Was a, a real time capsule. It really looked great. Well, you know, we only have to wait another. Now, gosh, as of just slightly beyond four weeks, um, we'll be road tripping it to Bettendorf, Iowa. August 10 through 12 for the AACA Grand Nationals and Zenith Awards. Yep, looking forward to that. Crazy. Yep. Yeah, going to be stuck in the car for you with you for like an eternity. My ears will be blue. Well, yeah. I could play my old Pat Cooper tape and make you laugh with some Italian jokes, and I could sing some Jimmy Rosselli songs and, you know, give you an education on the Italian Throw in a culture. little Louis... Lu- Throw in a little Louis Prima, you know? Oh, I love Louis Prima. I got some CDs. I'll bring those too. See? See? (laughs) (laughs) I knew. uh, So you brought up original cars. We were going to talk some about original cars, but something else came up uh, out there in Auburn in the course of discussion with people. And it seems as though, unfortunately, a lot of people have recently been ripped off, ripped off buying parts. Um, yeah. Yep. I there do. are so many venues out there for people to market stuff, which is a good thing at face value. It's a good thing because, of course, a lot more parts find a way to make it to market, which means, you know, people can buy them and access them, use them for their restorations. Uh, cars become accessible. There's, you know, it's always good to have more availability whatever of whatever it happens to be. The problem being, when you're buying, particularly off of Marketplace and other social media platforms, as opposed to a platform that has feedback and that actually has structure and uh, maybe even an escrow option when you're buying, um, mm-hmm. you know, like eBay, for instance, a lot of the social media platforms don't have any protection whatsoever. It's sort of the wild, wild west. And a lot of people are just getting hosed. They're getting hosed buying cars. They're getting hosed. And the more interesting part of it is crooks have gotten really smart, and 
they'll just pull a picture off of another site of a Hudson, for instance, that's in need, obviously in need of repair. They'll post it out there. They're parting it out and, you know, make offers, send me a notice, you know, and then you can send me the, you know, pay me by Venmo and other means. And then it turns out they don't have any, don't have any parts. They never had a car in the first place. All they did was pull the image off of another site, throw this forlorn Hudson, for instance, up there. And then people, hey, I, I need a twin H set up. Oh yeah, I've got that. You know, two hundred bucks. I I need rims, uh, one hundred fifty bucks. Whatever the price happens to be. And then these people go in and they pay these guys uh, through some of these various platforms. Again, that have little recourse if they don't get their goods. And uh, you know, they're out the money. There's no way to recoup it. And I know a couple of people that have put major deposits down on cars lost their money, too. Uh-huh. You can't do that. You know, again, like we said, if it seems too good of a deal, it could be fraud. But, again, that's where the benefits of being part of a car club. If, if you live in, let's say, Roanoke, Virginia, and, you know, you want a Studebaker in Denver, Colorado, you call up, you know, the Studebaker chapter in Denver, Colorado, and you see if someone could either check out the car or if they know anything about it. Maybe they will tell you firsthand it's a scam. So uh, you got to do your homework. You can't trust anybody today, and that's, that's a sad state of affairs. We used to be able to trust people years ago, and you just can't do it anymore. There's too many scam artists, and... Uh, yeah, you just got to be careful. Don't send money unless you absolutely positively have checked and vetted that person, and then you could go ahead. But uh, to me, I would rather drive five hours and go pick up the part to make sure I'm getting it. If it's an important part, an expensive part, then uh, just take a chance. So, yeah, you do your homework. A lot of people feel safe because it's on, you know, a, a, a Hudson Facebook page or whatever it may happen to be, or or even on some of the you know people that have you know gone online uh, to uh, websites and forums and so forth and started trying to sell stuff too. Um, it's only been recently that the crooks out there have decided you know if they can prey on people who have rare automobiles uh, who need parts that it's like shooting fish in a barrel because everybody's so excited about finding these parts that they need, that they're, you know, they just jump the gun, they get lost in the excitement of it all. Bottom line is, even if you do buy through one of these sites, and I had a situation not long ago, I I need a rear tail, a real rear valence panel for a 70, 71, 69 uh, AMC Rebel, or Ambassador, either one, they're all the same. And the guy pops up, he's got AMC stuff for sale, says, I messaged him, he said he had it. He actually sent me pictures of the car that it was supposed to be coming off of. But then I decided to, you know, text and message a bunch of other AMC people and ask them if they'd heard of this guy. And 
apparently he was fraudulent. So, I mean, you know, even if you can't drive to Walla Walla, Washington from, say, Florida, you might be able to check out the vendor with other people that are on the site or even just post it right. on the site and ask the question. Anybody know this guy before you send your yeah. money? Before you send can't trust anyone, my friend. You just can't, and it's a sad state of affairs. I know. I'm constantly worried about you. Well, you know, I mean, uh, if, if I could make some bucks off of you telling you I got that part and then uh, disappear, <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> well, would you do something like that, Richard? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, uh, I don't know. He'd well, think I, about it, but he wouldn't do it. I hate to break in here, but <laughs> no. it's, we need to uh, take a break. We'll be back with the Classic Car Show right after a couple of messages. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. And now, back to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. All right, folks, we're back. But uh, We are back. I got to tell you, let me tell you something, wise guy. Uh, <laughs> I really... I really Sell or neither have I sold a lot of car parts. I've given more parts away for free because I knew someone needed it. And what am I going to make? Fifteen, twenty dollars on something? You know, I really need, especially if it's a young person who first got into, who first is getting into the hobby. To me, I get more satisfaction at, at giving that part away than I do as uh, selling it. But then you know, then you got a box. You got to find a box. And then you gotta package it, and then you gotta schlep this UPS. Like, who needs that headache? Here, you want the part? Come and get it. <laughs> you know? So, if it's an expensive part, the part that you were looking for, then I would charge it. But, uh. If it's know, a Triumph it part, no big deal. I mean, you know. <laughs> I mean, I got this great Austin Healy grill from an Austin Healy 3000. And it's an original grill. It's in excellent condition. And it's like I never put it up for sale because it's like I got to find a big box. And then you got to wrap it so you protect it so it doesn't get ruined or squashed during shipping. And then you got to go to UPS. It's like, oh. So it's been sitting in my garage for years. But one day I'll mm. get rid of it. Well, see, the, other, the other part of it is, you know, you put it on eBay and sell it on eBay. Now, you know, they're going to... Uh, Report it to the IRS, and then you're going to have to pay taxes on something that you've already paid for after you've already paid taxes on the money that you used 
to pay for the part and uh, pay taxes on it again, Thanks, too. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was pretty. Yeah, one of those times where I was, I thought it was pretty insane. I remember what was it? They wanted to have the banks report every uh, transaction over six hundred dollars or something stupid like that. But yeah, right. yeah, it is really annoying. I say, you know, you you pay taxes when you're making your money. You know, you pay sales tax on this stuff when you buy it, and then they expect you to pay taxes on it again. Just, it's just ridiculous but anyhow yeah no i get that i i've got a ton of stuff that i need to sell just to move it along some really good stuff um but like you I, i've given away a bunch of stuff i've sold a lot of cars for probably either what i had in them or less than what i had in them if you consider the time effort and money spent to go get them just simply because yeah. somebody really really wanted it and i didn't have time to get to it you know yeah, I was going through a box of parts the other day, and uh, Austin Healey 3000 mirrors, brand new. I'm talking, you know, original mirrors uh, or new reproductions, uh, speedometers, all kinds of stuff, all new. And I got all this stuff sitting in a box. It's like, okay, you know, it's very time-consuming to list it. So, uh, yeah, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, you got to do your homework, folks, you know. Uh, get the word out there if, if you think something isn't doesn't sound legit before you send money. So, yeah, or even yeah. if it does, um, the guy that was offering me that valence panel, he seemed totally legitimate. Um, he could yeah. talk the talk and walk the walk in terms of me, t- you know, texting back and forth. I mean, he seemed like Joe hobbyist. You know, been in the hobby for a long well, time. You know, it's a good way to do it, to find out uh, if they're legit or not. Uh, tell them, you know, I would like to come and pick up the part. What's your address? And then when you hear a click, you know, the guy's a cam on. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a great point. It's true. You could do yeah. that even though if they said, oh, yeah, fine, that here's my address and so on and so forth, you, you could always turn around and say, you know, hey, you know, I really I was going to come by, and now something's come up. I'm going to need to have it shipped. You know, and then just still buy the part and get it shipped. Sure, yeah. You know what? Even a blind squirrel finds an acorn now and then, man. That, that's a good idea. <laughs> Boy, you southern hillbilly boys, you've got some oddball uh, sayings. Let me tell you, more than you can <laughs> shake a stick at. <laughs> um. <laughs> So what what topic do you want to talk about today? You know, we were talking about original cars, and part of the reason for that, well, let's talk about originality and various stages of originality and whether you should restore the car or not restore the car. Is the car historically significant? Would you be really damaging its provenance and its history by restoring it? Um all of those things. What do you think? Well, the way I look at it, original collector cars, whether they're valuable or not valuable, let's face it, even even inexpensive collector cars like Ford Falcon or a, a, a Vega Camback Wagon or a Triumph Spitfire, let's face it, every year there's less and less of them available. 
you know, through accident damage or rust or people passing away, and then the car gets, you know, sent to the crusher. So to me, original collector cars, no matter what they are, no matter what their value, should always be considered nothing less than highly prized automotive artifacts. They are all trans important transportation objects of great historical significance. And an original car, to me, provides a window into looking back into the way the cars were manufactured years ago. It doesn't have to be that particular brand, but, you know, uh, they're a glimpse into the past. They're affording us a wonderful opportunity to study firsthand the way manufacturing techniques were carried out during all the different decades and periods of automotive manufacturing and production, you know, uh, but another great thing about original cars is that if you know other people, whether they're friends or fellow club members or what have you, if they're restoring the same car as yours because their car is too far gone to preserve it as original, it needs to be restored, it could be a rust bucket, whatever, you, and your car is all original, your car is a template for other people to get those restorations correct, you know, and that's a very valuable thing. To have that, uh, you know, template for other people to see how the panels were overlapped, what fasteners were painted, which fasteners were left unpainted, you know, uh, where is the overspray, you know, what color was the chassis versus, you know, because a lot of people think all chassis are black and that's not true, you know. You want to look at the, you know, the upholstery to see how the stitching was done and uh, all that kind of jazz, so... Yeah, original cars to me are very important, and uh, I guess that's why people today, especially collectors, are valuing original cars, originality, far more than a well-restored automobile. Because let's face it, you know, no matter, you know, there are some restored automobiles that are not restored correctly or safely, you know, if it's right. done by a professional. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, all of a sudden, the last 10 years or so, people come to the realization how special and and uh, significant original unrestored cars are and uh i'm a big advocate for originality that was really the basis for the formation of the original class within aaca which is known as the historic preservation of original features class or the hpof class and that was brought into existence gosh 40 years ago or so, um, yeah. just to encourage people with good original cars to keep them original, to provide an opportunity for them to show their cars within AACA without having to restore them. Because the prevailing wisdom prior to that was that, you know, in order to show the car on an AACA show field, you had to, had to do a complete restoration on it. Um, and then they came up with the HPOF class uh, for original cars so that cars would be preserved to assist people with their restorations down the road. And that happens all the time. I know even with rare cars, I know that there are a lot of people who have been in the process of a restoration, and in order to figure out how something's done, particularly upholstery, because a lot of times upholstery is the first thing to go, Sometimes it's not even there for a good pattern. People turn around right. and fly and or fly their upholstery guy to somebody with an original car so they can see exactly how the stitching was done, 
type of materials, the, the bolster, all of those things, how all of it's put together so that they can duplicate it and make sure that it's ac- accurate to the original build of the car. So, yeah, very, very important. The other thing I find is I've had both restored cars and original cars. I have a lot of original cars, and particularly low-mileage original cars, not, you know, cars that are original that have 150, 170,000 miles on them, but low-mileage, and when I'm saying low-mileage, everything probably I consider low-mileage all the way up to, say, 60, 65,000 miles. Um, Original cars, they always seem to drive better than the restored cars do. That's not a knock on restorers. I'm sure there are a bunch of restorers out there that actually deliver a car that's restored that was is better and tighter than it ever was when it rolled off the assembly line. But in general, my experience has been that original cars always just seem to handle and drive better. They do. They really do. They just feel more solid. Um, and you know, so, yeah. Go ahead. No, go for it. I was going to go for it. Uh, especially when it comes to, you know, exterior paint. So often I hear people say, oh, my car is totally original. And I look at it and I go, uh, there's no paint chips in front and there's like 75,000 miles. Because you start getting paint, you know, chips in the paint, somewhere around 20, 25,000 miles. Oh, no, no, I had it repainted 10 years ago. Well, then it's not original. Well, no, it's the original color. It may be the original color, but it's not original paint. And that means the car is not original. You know, years ago, in one of my columns, I, I said this. I said, if a painting by Monet or a stained glass panel by Tiffany shows their age, are those precious works of art repainted, touched up, or re-leaded? No, they're not. They're just cleaned. So why, so why should a well-preserved old car be repainted if its original finish is still in respectable condition? You know... It shows that it's a more honest car. Uh, a couple of years ago, I sold my all-original Triumph DT6 to fund the production of Crankshaft Magazine. And I didn't want to sell that car. I had it for 15 years, got it from the original owner. It had original paint on it. And there were scratches. There was some, you know, minor, I'm not even calling them dents, but you know what I mean, those kind of, you know, areas of sure, just little parking lot things. Yeah, yeah, basically. And, you know, there were some rust bubbles here and there, and the headliner uh, had yellowed in the corners from the blue, the uh, carpeting in the back of the hatch that was always, you know, sun beating on was turned brown, from black to brown. But you know what? It was all original. And people who have seen that GT6 said, this is the most original, you know, GT6 I've ever seen regardless that it had all these flaws in it and things like that. But to me, that made it more honest. It made it far more original than anything else out there because it was original. And I was very proud to own that car. But let me tell you something. It was a headache to own an original car because every time you take it out, you're paranoid if if someone's going to whack into you and then you're going to ruin the original finish and, you know, you're going to run over something that you didn't see and you want to put a big dent in the bottom of the quarter panel and... I sold it. So that's the negative side of owning an original car is, like, you really can't use it as often as you can a car that's in number three condition. 
So just pros and cons in everything in life. That's the way it is. Now, see, you know, I, I tend to think about it about it differently. You know, yeah. my original cars, I drive the heck out of them. And, but I'm the same way with all the cars, I, you know, whether it's a restored car. And I realize the reluctance of people to get out and particularly drive in the rain with a restored car because it takes hours and hours and hours to clean everything and to get it back to square one where it's pristine again. I mean, you know, driving it 10 miles in the rain, a car 10 miles in the rain will create hours and hours and hours of work. That's good for you, Tom. Um, And at that point, we're going to have to leave you with the uh, sponge because we got to take a break. We'll be back right after this. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Yeah, I, I drive. I drive them, and you know, I have a, I have a, had a bunch of friends over the years. They'll have a car that only has like thirty thousand miles on it, and it gets to thirty nine thousand miles, and they quit driving it. It's like, why don't you drive your car? Well, it's at thirty nine thousand five hundred and sixty five miles, and I don't want it to turn over to forty. I'm like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's crazy. You kidding? Yeah. What are you doing? Saving it for the next guy, okay? Enjoy your car. Get out and drive it. It's not going to make that big a difference when you go to sell it. Don't save it for somebody else. I I had a close friend that had a uh, 65 uh, Buick GS that he bought new. It had 9,000 miles on it, and when it got to 9,900 miles, he quit driving it. Yeah, that's crazy. And he eventually sold that's, it. Yeah, he just I mean, it looked like he hasn't bring himself to have it turn ten thousand. So, yeah, I'm, no, I just want to drive the cars. When I had my GT6, I put in the fifteen years that I drove it and had it, uh, I put ten thousand miles on it. Wow, so, uh, it's respectable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, there was I I didn't drive it in the winter. I didn't drive it in the snow, you know. Uh, when no, you wouldn't have had a car left. No, I, especially All when I lived salt. in Vermont. They use a lot of salt on the roads in Vermont. And what I always did, I was 
I waited for three major rainstorms come April or May to wash away the salt. I didn't do it as soon as the first, you know, rainstorm came. I waited to make sure all the salt was off the road. So that's the kind of things you got to do. And then you could drive it. You can enjoy it. Why save it for the next slump? He's going to drive it. So you might as well enjoy it. But exactly. it does drive you crazy. But it does drive you crazy when you drive an original car and you see all these goobers on the road who don't know how to drive. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I felt just that way the last time I was going down the road and, and I saw you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what, what, what used to kill me the most is when I used to drive my GT6, I used to go, if I had to go somewhere, let's say I had to go to Walmart or Home Depot, uh, I would park at the far end of the parking lot so I wouldn't get any door things. Because that car had no door things at all because the original owner did the same thing. And then you come out and someone's parked next to you. It's like, oh, yeah. what the hell are you parking for? There's a million spots. Oh, that would piss me off, man. <laughs> that, that happens every single time. Every time you right. try to park out, somebody always pulls in right next to you. It's like they need to use your car as a guide for them to get into the parking yeah. space, you know? Right. Uh, but so, you know, you and I have been talking about this trip that I was supposed to be making when I went to Auburn. I was going to go to Detroit yeah. to pick up something special and unique, and since we're talking about original cars, I might as well spill the beans. So... All right. Couple of weeks. Unfortunately, what's that? Unfortunately, unfortunately, folks, he did not buy a Triumph. One day he'll come to his senses, but he did not buy a Triumph. However, you did get an interesting car. So why don't you tell us all about it? Uh, it is an interesting car. I I became aware that a particular car may be for sale. The owner who'd had the car for forty three years was thinking about selling his car. And this particular car happened to be a prototype from, guess what, American Motors. And it was the prototype, ended up being the prototype for the 79 Spirit AMX, the AMX. And it provided an opportunity to do proposed changes, engineering and styling changes and so forth uh, while the, everything was being reviewed and they were updating the handling packages and determining what engine, what transmission, all of those things. So many things are determined. The original, you know, I, I guess a lot of mostly styling starts out in clay and then this car is what they call a SP, a skin prototype. And, in fact, the VIN number on the car is SP14D, which is skin prototype number 14, and the D denotes the uh, engine that's in the car. And this car was constructed in 1977 as a prototype for the 1979 Spirit in AMX, and it was one of 14 
prototype cars that were created that year by American Motors for their 1979 car lineup. And the guy who owned the cars, a guy by the name of Mike Smith, who's a production engineer for American Motors, um, he had worked at Chrysler, had been worked working with the Ram Chargers team, went to work for Jeep, and then Jeep was bought out by American Motors, and then he ended up with American Motors. And he worked with and drove this car. Um, the car was completed to the point where various suits, as he said, would take the car out and drive it. And there's a log that shows you know, who drove the car and how many miles and all that sort of stuff. But then there's also a an information card that's on the visor um, that's held on by elastic, and it describes all the specs on the car. Uh, for instance, as opposed to what ended up being the production AMX for 79, this car has a four-barrel carb on the 304 rather than a two-barrel carb on the 304, so there's a whole lot of differences on it. The cool thing about it, too, is that most of the major parts on this car have in grease pencil the special VIN number SP14D. If you open the glove box on the car and it drops down, it says SP14D. So that if they started to take parts off or interchange parts to see if something fit better, looked better, what have you, that they would have a repository for these parts that they were changing out and that all of them for that particular prototype would stay together. So anyway, a lot of that car and the various parts on it are marked SP14D in grease pencil. But it's all original. Uh, Mike ended up keeping the car. They kept it there on, on the premises, and people would drive it from the plant in Kenosha over to the Plymouth Road Engineering Plant in Detroit, the headquarters, and then sometimes down to Toledo as well because, of course, they owned jeep at the time and so it ended up being driven a lot by a lot of different people dick teague had the car for a week and and drove the car for a week um being the vp in charge of styling for amc and uh, so here's the other thing about the car it was originally painted orange and you know when they were trying to determine how they were going to equip it the badges and so forth are are very unique to this car. The badging on it is not like the final production car. Um, it has um, AMX in uh, an AMX badge on the fender, for instance, as opposed to the decal that was used on the production model. Things of that nature. Um, but but they painted it painted it orange. Then they determined towards the end of its usefulness that, you know, hey, we're going to use this as a pace car at Michigan Speedway. So Teague mandated that he wanted to have it painted black. And so they sent it back through their paint department, and they painted it black. But because they were being expedient, they didn't paint the black under the hood, just everywhere else. And uh, they also pulled the engine and put in a lab-assembled 304, meaning it was all balanced, blueprinted, so on and so forth. It had a great deal of attention paid 
beyond that, which is paid on the regular regular production engine, um, and then put it all together. So I got the car, and it's all original. Everything that's been done from the time that car was put together to today is just a progression of everything that was done along the way to determine what the final production model was going to be. And so there are things that have been changed along the way. There are a lot of things that are unique and different. They don't look like the production model. You pull the hood open, and there's some black overspray in the engine compartment, and the rest of it's orange. It doesn't look all that great. You know, and when I, I, I showed it in Auburn as display only, and I did have a number of people say, well, you know, you're going to restore this. You know, you're going to clean that up under the hood. Um, you know, there's a little bit of orange showing through back here. What's going on with that? Are you going to, you know, take care of that? And So what do you think I should do with it, Rich? Uh, preservation. It's like when the Museum of Modern Art or the Metropolitan Museum of Art gets an original painting. The it goes into the preservation department and they carefully clean it with you know whatever they use whether it's denatured alcohol and things like that and you know little scrub pads however they do it and that's what you need to do too you need to go through the car and just clean it that's it you know whatever overspray is there the fact that the engine bay color doesn't match the exterior that's all part of the history I mean. Right. It doesn't match because it, it, it pays the Indy 500. So, of course, it's not going to match. But uh, if you remove all that, you're removing all the history of that car. No, it, it doesn't matter if there's some rust showing or corrosion here and there and the paint quality isn't the best. That's what the car is all about. You've got to preserve that originality. And, you know, you show the car, no matter where you show it, there's going to be some... You know, some knucklehead come up to you and say, oh, how come you don't restore this car, man? Like, wow, it's really dirty. But they don't know the true history of it. So, yeah, forget about, you know, having a perfect car. That's not what this car is all about. This is a significant part of AMC history. This car is a significant part of AMX history. you got to preserve it as is, regardless of the condition of the paint or whatever. And if you don't, I'll kick your butt. <laughs> Got to catch me first. <laughs> you know, at your advanced age, I'm just saying. The uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right. No, that's 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 what I plan on doing, and that's what I told those people. I said, you know, no, I'm going to give it a very fine, careful, respectful cleaning. That's all I'm going to do to the car, and then I'm going to do whatever's necessary to preserve the current condition of the car so that it doesn't deteriorate. Uh, but I'm not going to change anything, nothing. It only has, actually, right. by now, even though uh, when Mike bought the car, which was kind of an interesting story, all the prototypes were supposed to be destroyed, and occasionally we hear this happening as time goes by, you know, just like the... Uh, GM Motorama cars that went out to war hoops. They were supposed to be destroyed, and then, you know, they ended up being resurrected in parts and pieces. But 
a lot of these things are are destroyed, but he managed to keep this car on the book as a pool uh, motor pool car, basically, so that people would could sign out and, as I said, use it oftentimes to drive from Kenosha to Plymouth Road uh, in Detroit or wherever, and then back again. And he let everybody know within the management and that he wanted that car. And so eventually, as time went on, uh, the car had been there at AMC for, I think, three years, maybe four, um, from the time it was put together. And he knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy in the role of the right departments. And so they sold it through the scrap disposal dealer that American Motors used out there in Kenosha. And uh, I have the uh, bill of sale from American Motors, you know, total disclaimer, you know, not responsible for this, 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 and this, and this vehicle's to be used for parts, blah, 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 blah. And uh, and so, but, but because it has that weird VIN number, um, DMV wouldn't register it under that VIN number, so it has a Wisconsin-issued VIN number um, so that it, we could, you know, so that it could be titled and driven. But well, yeah, okay. it's a blast. It's great. I had so much fun. And, and it's time to the for our last break. Um, oh, we're off on a break. We're off on a break. We'll be back right after this. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. We're back. So, it was kind of cool. The morning, um, this past Friday, when I went over there to pick up the car, um, of course, Mike was there. The car was there, but he had called a bunch of his friends that you know used to work out of Plymouth Road and in Toledo and uh, you know in Kenosha, who were living in the general Detroit area. And a, four or five of them came over and showed up the, to meet me and to talk about AMCs and the cars and so forth. And I did find one really cool tidbit. Whole, talked about a whole lot of really cool stuff. But, you know, the, the Jeep Grand Wagoneer had a really long run. It first at the assembly line in late 1963, and it ran in production all the way through 1991. So, I mean, you know, it was in 
production for nearly 30 years. 28 years it was in production. And for the and one of the guys who was the plant manager from Toledo was there and he told me he said, "You know, he because one of the most fun stories was I was talking to a guy that was putting driver's doors on Grand Wagoneers. And I'd ask him when he started and so forth, and he said, well, you know, I started in 1962. I remember when the Grand Wagoneer first hit the production line. He said, oh, that's cool. And he said, yeah. He said, so what have you been assembling? He goes, left-hand door. This guy went all the way through past, he, this was like 1992 uh, or three that he spoke to this fellow about this. Every Grand Wagoneer out there on the road, with the exception of when this guy was on vacation, every left-hand Grand Wagoneer door was hung by the same guy for the entire production run. <laughs> kind of cool, I thought. That is, that is. Wow. You know... When you were telling me the story the other day, I found it very fascinating, not only what a great, significant automobile this is, but some of the tools that the guy gave you. Why don't you tell the listeners about some of those tools with the special markings? I mean, that is fabulous. Oh, yeah, that was icing on the cake. So I received what I've been referring to uh, when I'm talking to friends as I received the holy impact the holy impact from uh from mike smith and uh it's an impact wrench that was actually used on the assembly line in kenosha um unfortunately mike was put in charge of winding down and closing the plant out uh in kenosha once production ceased at the big lakefront facility the engine plant continued to uh to work but it wasn't located in the main plant and or the engineering building and he was in charge of shutting it all down and and they were chucking stuff into dumpsters and so on and so forth and so some people ended up with you know an impact wrench here or there so i've got got two impact wrenches and a really weird quarter inch drive air ratchet that must be 18 inches long had to be specially made to get into some tight space to tighten something up, but they're all marked AMC. So now I have my set of uh, the holy air tools of AMC that go along go along with the car too. So yeah, I was really excited about that. Wow, you know, it's those little things that uh, you know make a purchase like this even more exciting. You know, you got stuff that no one else has, and uh, I'm glad I know where your garage is and how to pick the lock. So uh, if they're missing one day, <laughs> yeah, it's great but, uh, stuff. And the yeah. stories, stories were great too. You know, all the stories that these guys could tell. You know, I just used that one one story. You know, about the same guy putting on the driver's door on every Grand Wagoneer practically that was ever bruised, you know, um, but just a lot of cool stories. So how, did you get a chance to drive it yet? 
Oh, man, it drives great. And I, I can tell you this, and I I did not realize um, until I was going through, because I've got all a lot of the paperwork, the original internal documents, um, minutes of meetings where they discussed the car and things of that nature. So that is great provenance that, that came along with the car. Um, but it wasn't until I was on the drive back that I happened to stop and I was running through a couple of sheets and reading some of it that I knew that this the engine that was in the car is what they call the lab created engine where you know as I said it's all you know hand assembled and everything is balanced and so on and so forth um, done to the nines um, it has a little hotter cam slightly higher compression it has four barrel uh, carb on it that the production car didn't have and I guess because it was they came out of the lab it's the smoothest running one of the smoothest running engines I've ever had in any vehicle wow. Pr- prior to this probably the smoothest running engine I have in any ever, ever had in any vehicle I had a 60 Pontiac Catalina and that engine had to have been assembled on a on a midday Wednesday because that engine was perfect. The balance and everything on it was perfect. Every time I took that car to get it inspected, um, of course, back then in the state of Virginia, you had to get an inspection twice a year, but I would pull up to the inspection bay at the service station, and I'd leave the key in it. It would be running. I'd go in. The guy would come and get the car. I'd get in it. And every daggone time they would go to turn the starter because it was so wow. quiet, it didn't sound like it was running, and they'd grind the grind the uh, Bendix. This car is that so, way. So let me ask you: next year, in 2024, the American Motors Nationals (AMO Nationals) will be in Phillipsburg, outside of Richmond, Virginia, your Petersburg. home state. Yep, Petersburg. Yes. Will will you be bringing the AMX to display and show everybody? I'm sure everybody's going to want to see that car. Oh yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll drive it up there probably. I, I, depending upon the circumstances, if the weather's looking pretty good, I'll I'll I won't trailer it. I'll drive it to Petersburg. Um, yeah, really looking forward to that event. I know that uh, the Potomac Ramblers and Chad Quella, who's the uh, chairman of that event really working hard to make that an exciting event but yeah i'm definitely going to be there and uh oh gosh for this poor souls that come there guess guess who their keynote speaker is going to be uh i know it's not george romney uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah nope. yours truly boy what a bad bad substitute for george romney huh they're going to be stuck with wow me. But uh, it's going to be a fun, fun event. It's going to be a fun event, especially to take the car out and take it there where there will be so many people who want to see the car. And then I'll take it to uh, the next Kenosha homecoming back in Kenosha. And you're going to go to that. I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming to that. Um, That is just the most amazing Mark show ever. I've never been, like I told you, and I do want to go. Uh, See some of you weird AMC people walking around and, That'd be interesting. Uh, yeah, I like I'll have my AMC beanie on, you know, with the little propeller. Oh. 
that should be a fun event. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that and being there. So, uh, yeah, very cool. That, that's a great find. Uh, and the fact that you're going to drive it to Petersburg, I mean, if, if I was in your situation, I would drive that car too because after seeing what your trailer looks like, I think it's a lot safer than you to drive it than to trailer it. <laughs> ooh, that trailer, man. What's well, wait a minute. I've got, I, uh, hey, 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 I have three trailers, okay? I've got one nice enclosed trailer. I've got oh one fairly, you know, that's fairly new open trailer. And then I have the trailer of doom. And, and you're talking about well, the trailer of doom. But the, the trailer oh, of oh. doom is a construction equipment trailer, okay? With with a five ton winch on it, that thing could pull a house off its foundation. Okay, so the next time you know you find one of you, you know at, at your advanced age, you know you find a Triumph and the wheels are all locked up and everything, you'd have to pass on it ordinarily because you know it'd just be too much effort to get it onto a trailer. But you you would call me and and with the trailer of doom to come retrieve that thing because all I'd have to do is put a hook on it and just drag it onto the trailer. That is an awesome trailer. I'm sorry. I I love that trailer. I catch hell for that trailer. But, man, that sucker is tough. Trailer of doom. Not very pretty, folks. When I see that, it's like, oh, man, I'd rather push my car than put it on that trailer. (laughs) That is the retrieval trailer of doom. And, uh, yeah, that car has probably hauled, between myself and my buddy Robert Dye, we've probably hauled, oh, God, well over 100 cars on that trailer. But ordinarily, it's a retrieval situation. Yeah. you got a 67 Cadillac that's in a pine bog, you know, down a hill and and in a thicket. Do you know what a thicket is? Yeah, bushes. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have any thickets there uh, next to the stoop there in, in Brooklyn. Okay. <laughs> no, we just had pinchy bushes. That's it. And we had itchy you ball know. trees. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but, it. But if you did have a thicket and you had, had a car stuck in it and mired up to its axles, you would want the trailer of doom, I'm just telling you. And we've got about cool. one minute. Well... Well, I'm, I'm I'm glad that car ended up in your possession. I know you're going to take care of it, and uh, congratulations. I'm looking forward to driving it and, and seeing, you know, maybe rip up those rear ties and spin them out and uh, abuse it a little. Yeah, I, hey, I have I've already let I, Wes Peterson said, "Wow, gosh, I best bet this thing would be fun to drive," and uh, I I just threw the keys to him. I said, "Here." He's like, drive it? I was like, yeah. So, so he hopped in and drove it. Yeah, it was fun. All right, so, folks. Well, with the road, time to go. Have a great weekend, everybody. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Get off the couch, get in the garage, and uh, remember good. what we always say. Good cars, cheap cars are good. Good cars are cheap. Cheap tools, <laughs> <laughs> cheap tools are bad. All right, guys. Take care. And we need a picture of that trailer of doom. Oh, yes, the trailer of doom. I'll send that to you. Okay. (laughs) 
Have a good weekend. You guys, too. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.